Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is David Aron, who's the Senior Executive Vice President and Director of Sandstorm Gold, a royalty and streaming company focused in the precious metal space. Uh, David co-founded Sandstorm back in 2008 and has been instrumental in growing the company from startup to a leading mid-tier royalty company. Um, David's been involved in billions of dollars worth of royalty financing and has evaluated hundreds of resource projects, including on-site due diligence at mines all over the world. Um, Today, we're going to speak about how the company has developed um, and what they've been up to and what the uh, future holds. Um, David's going to be attending Europe's largest mining event, which is Resourcing Tomorrow, which is formerly known as the Mines and Money in London, uh, which is taking place in London on the 28th to the 30th of November, um, which is a great platform for an entire value mine, uh, mining value chain, fostering learning, lively debates and providing a valuable uh, in, or invaluable network opportunities. So um, appreciate if you can go and register and buy, uh, get your tickets now. There's a discount code um, if you look in the show notes um, to get a cheaper ticket. So um, hopefully I'll see you there. So that's welcome, David, to the podcast. How you doing, David? Yeah, very good, Rob. Thanks you so much for having me on the podcast. And I appreciate your time. I know it's early in the morning over there in uh, Vancouver. Um, so as we always start these uh, podcasts off, I guess a lot of our audience will will already know you. But for those that don't know you, I just want to just tell us a little bit about your background, about your career, um, so that the audience knows a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Great. Um, I'm originally a geologist by training. Uh, I started off really doing prospecting and exploration, early stage exploration, uh, both in Canada and North America and different parts of the world. Um, I s- first got involved on really kind of corp dev uh, when I got involved in a company called Silver Wheaton, which today is Wheaton Precious Metals. That's where I met my really future co-founder of Sandstorm, Nolan Watson. He and I were the first two full-time employees at uh, Silver Wheaton, uh, and we're really the only full-time employees until... Uh, 2007, uh, where uh, and we were there until 2008 as the company grew. 2009, we both co-founded Sandstorm Gold, uh, and we've been accumulating royalties and streams uh, in the gold and the precious metal space really ever since. Uh, today, Sandstorm Gold uh, is New York Stock Exchange and uh, TSX listed. Close to around a uh, getting close to around a two billion dollar enterprise value in the company. Uh, we're expecting somewhere around one hundred sixty million dollars in cash flow for twenty twenty three, and uh, we've got a long uh, long term stream ahead of us. Over forty different cash flowing uh, assets right now, uh, and that's out of two hundred fifty different royalties and streams total. So I just want to even give us a, an overview. I know you mentioned a little bit about Sandstorm. I just want to even give us a little bit of an overview of, of the company. 
Yeah, so uh, we've been building this company piece by piece. We're one of the few royalty companies that was never spun out of another package of royalties. So uh, we've really kind of focused on assets, buying assets and linking ourselves to assets and partnering with assets that really uh, are going to be experiencing growth in the future. And we've been really successful at finding those projects. We have a real strong belief that um, the, there, there's a lot of great aspects of owning royalties and streams, of course, being attached to uh, assets without having to spend the capex and exploration expenditures required to really extend the life and expand the mine is enormous. But really that real value driver for shareholders is linking to exploration success that happens at these projects. So when you can find and link to a project that's starting off and call it a six or seven year mine life, and then extends its mine life to 15 years plus, that's when you really drive huge value for shareholders. So that's been a big long time goal for us is to find projects that are going to find their cells into hands that will have more capital to invest in the projects, making sure you're investing in projects that um, are really in that lowest part of the cost curve so that at all parts of the cycle, they have uh, capital to invest back into their projects and capital to really spend on exploration and new discoveries to extend that mine life. What is uh, Samsung's uh, business model? Um, and I suppose, what are the benefits of investing in a royalty uh, company compared to uh, investing in a uh, mining company? Yeah, so so having royalties and streams, what when you own that as a royalty and streaming company, what you're really ultimately getting is a slice of the top line of any single mine. So you're not necessarily linking yourself to the actual mining company itself that owns that project. You're attaching yourself as an owner, as an owner of a product that comes from that. So we in turn really effectively receive that product, a slice and a percentage of that product that comes from there. When it is a stream, it actually is that product. So uh, we might get a certain percentage of the gold that's produced from a mine, uh, we receive that gold and then we end up selling it off. We buy that for either a fixed price or a fraction of the percentage of what the spot price is, called it say 25% of the spot price. And so as a result, we actually end up on every ounce that we sold or gold equivalent ounce that we sold, we actually end up with a huge margin. For instance, Today, we are typically, uh, we are all in costs for uh, an ounce of gold or a gold equivalent ounce in a company. It sits somewhere around $250 to $275 per ounce, depending on really kind of the mix of uh, revenue coming in and how each one of the, the different mines perform that we have a stream or a royalty. So when you're seeing prices that are nearing $1,900 or $2,000 per ounce, your margin ends up being enormous. So your ability to make a profit uh, on every single ounce that's sold, its course is almost kind of built in. So 
we also have great diversification. So today we have uh, revenue and sales coming from 40 different projects. And we don't have uh, exposure to more than our largest project is 12% in our portfolio. So as a result, you know, a lot of the problems of being a mining company is, is that you may have temporary issues on one of your mines. And not only does that mine might have to shut down or slow down, uh, but you have to make huge investments into that project to make sure it gets back up, up online. We don't have that problem because we just see a small portion of our overall revenue coming off. Uh, but uh, we typically we won't have any costs associated with getting that project up and going again. So it really does protect the shareholder. You know, the big benefit, I think, as a shareholder of a royalty and streaming company like Sandstorm, is that you get all that upside that you might want to buy a royalty and streaming company for, which is exploration upside, um, expansion upside, commodity price upside, but without that risk of actually owning a mining company. You don't have to worry about putting money back into the projects. You don't have to worry about really kind of how capital mysteriously goes back in. And in a rising commodity price environment, how we've seen in the past, don't necessarily get those margins that expand at the same time. For a royalty streaming company, if you see the commodity price go up, our margins go up. You, you can be guaranteed for that as an owner, as a shareholder of it. So it really is that much more protected and easy to understand model. Uh, for investors looking into the space. And that's, I think, really why the industry has grown enormously really since 2004 when it really first appeared and it was used as a financing mechanism. So why would a mining company, um, if they're looking for obviously financing and they're in production, why would they look at a, a royalty and streaming company to source finance from than maybe other traditional uh, forms of finance yeah listen it, uh, it's a pretty common method of being used right now in fact almost everybody looks at it, but it certainly wasn't like that right at the beginning i remember it really was a struggle for us when we were at silver Wheaton, and even at the beginning of sandstorm in 2009 to really convince um, mining and management teams to be able to really look at this as something that might fall alongside debt and equity, which are really those traditional bases. Uh, but as we've really kind of been able to demonstrate over the years is that it really is a very effective and it's a much more aligned item. It comes with the low risk of really what equity is, but it comes at a much lower cost of capital. What we've found over the years is that management of mining companies has really understood a lot more over the years what their cost of capital related to equity is and really how dilutive it can be for them. The royalty stream, although it does sit there uh, as kind of a permanent fixture within that capital structure, it tends to be much, much less dilutive to those mining companies. And it's much, much more aligned to really what those mining companies look for. The problem with debt, the debt now is much more expensive than it was. We had a very long period, really debt in the mining industry was really quite cheap. 
but it always really carried that risk with it. In the end, when you really kind of look at how debt fits in the world, there's very few providers of debts. There's very few banks that are willing to do it. And in fact, as every year passes by, there's less and less banks that are actually interested in providing that debt, which means you have to go more to private equity type of groups. And then when you look at that private equity, even in periods when there was uh, low interest rates of really just two or three years ago, you saw effectively 18 to 20% cost of capital on the debt side. So you had a very high cost, but of course, debt comes with that enormous risk attached to it. It comes to a period when you have to really pay off that bit package. And if you don't pay that off, you can breach and or else if you breach your covenants, you run into peril uh, on really all the assets that you own within the company. So as we've gone through this and as we've gone through the education process of what how royalties and streams are useful, we've done, I think, mining companies and the executive mining companies have realized is that, yeah, this is a great tool to really kind of fit alongside. It reduces our exposure to debt, which then reduces our overall risk within the company as well. Um, and it really is less dilutive to our existing shareholders and their ability to finance. So what we're finding now is that as most companies are really looking at putting together a proper and appropriate capital structure, they always want to consider a stream as part of that because it's more aligned with uh, what they're trying to do and really with their shareholders' interests. And it fits nicely and is able to reduce the risk associated with debt. And honestly, today, debt is more expensive and it's riskier than ever has been before in the mining industry. Um, Sandstorm have um, made over a uh, billion dollars in acquisitions last year. Um, I wonder if you can just tell us uh, how this has changed your portfolio. Yeah, no, it's it's been a, a really kind of a remarkable year and a half for us now as we've grown uh, the company. You know, we've um, what we really needed to do, I think, in the portfolio is build up some long-term sustainability and really high cash flows and a production level over 100 or 110,000 ounces uh, per year of gold equivalent. And really the acquisitions that we did last year. So last year, we acquired two other royalty companies. Uh, one was, uh, uh, was a company called uh, Nomad Royalty. Uh, and it was a public company uh, based out of here in Canada. Uh, and what it had was a lot of very, very long-term uh, uh, based growth companies with big assets, uh, Greenstone, Platte Reef, Robertson, uh, which is part of the Cortez complex with Barrick and uh, Nevada Gold Mines. You know, these were all projects that were going to have 10 year plus mine lives um, with a lot of chance for expansion and exploration potential in the future. So uh, those were great assets to link into. The other acquisition that we made was a company called Basecore. And that was a private company that was partly owned by Glencore and uh, Ontario Teachers Pension Fund, fund, one of the largest pension funds here in Canada and a very large player in the mining space, uh, as many people will already know. So we bought that company and the real core uh, piece of that was the Antimina, a royalty on Antimina. Antimina, if you don't know, is 
uh, in the top five copper producing mines in the world. It's been Peru. Uh, it's owned by Glencore, BHP, uh, Tech, uh, and uh, a Japanese uh, company. Uh, and it's been producing copper for a long time. It's one of the lowest cost copper producers and most profitable copper porphyry mines in the world are coffee scarn, scarn porphyry mines in the world. Uh, and uh, that was a key part for us because it really helped us um, find some more assets and, and provide some growth to a side company called Horizon, uh, kind of a sister company alongside of us that we see as really kind of a long-term growth potential uh, for us in the space. Um. A few of the newly acquired streams, obviously, as you mentioned, are on projects that are under construction. Um, can you tell us about the uh, Greenstone project? Yeah, sure. So um, Greenstone is located not far uh, outside of Thunder Bay in Ontario, Canada. This is a project that's being built jointly by uh, Equinox and Orion Mine Finance. That's uh, been a project under development for really over a decade. Uh, again, it's similar to projects like Detour Lake, like uh, Malartic. Uh, it's going to be one of the largest uh, gold mines in Canada uh, when it gets up and operational next year. Uh, it's a great project in terms of really kind of being one of those typical ones and having those good comparables in that space. Uh, it's really located uh, near Geraldton outside of Thunder Bay, which is a really well-known mining uh, uh, jurisdiction. They've got a great team that's been building this asset. Uh, they just did a really important investor visit just in September. Really turned out, uh, I think, impressed everybody in terms of the production and really kind of how they've been able to uh, um, continue on the construction side and really continue to get the project built. So it's slated for first gold pour in Q1 of next year and really kind of ramping up through the year uh, and having its first full year in really 2025. So we're really excited about having it come online. It's going to be a big contributor. It's got a almost a 15-year mine life based on where it sits today, but there is a really strong potential that they might be able to extend the mine life uh, as an underground mine in the future. Depending on where the gold price is, they might be able to extend that open pit by quite a bit as well, too. Uh, but it certainly has the workings of being a kind of a multi-decade mine in the future, which is one of the reasons why we're really so excited to be associated with it. Um, Sandstone has a uh, gold stream on the uh, uh, Platte Riff project owned by Ivanhoe. Um, I just wonder if you can discuss the, the different phases of the production um, being discussed. Yeah, so uh, Platte Reef is really an extraordinary mine. Um, it's kind of a, in the north limb of a Bushveld complex, which is effectively the most well-known platinum producing areas in the world. What's unique about this north limb is that opposed to other parts of that bushveld complex is uh, that it's much, much thicker mineralization, area mineralization. So Ivanhoe has been working on this project for really over a decade now. Um, they are currently building it. They have three official phases right now that they're really looking to fold into it. First phase, 
it's less than a million tons uh, per year. Uh, but that gets up and going next year. Uh, they've got the mill that they're uh, finalizing. Uh, they pil- uh, put in a, a really nice shaft. They've done a lot of lateral development to start providing that first ore. Uh, but then really they quickly start working on phase two, uh, which takes the mine from that sub million tons per year up to 5 million tons per year. And really they're making a case for that second phase is going to be beyond that 5 million tons. So they've got a couple of other shafts that they're up at. They're going to get up and going. That shaft two has to come in. But what they're also doing is they're taking a vent shaft that was previously originally defined as a rent shaft. They're actually converting that into a haulage shaft as well, too, which should be able to increase their tonnage and more quickly get to a phase two. Beyond that, Ivanhoe has talked about um, a phase three, which would take them to 12 million tons per year. Once they get up to that 12 million tons per year production level, now that's not going to be until well into 2030 and beyond, they'll be uh, the largest platinum producing mine in the world. Uh, They hope to do, as opposed to a lot of the platinum mines in the rest of Bushville complex, which are really just uh, hand mined and really kind of a cut and fill, they're planning on making an almost fully automated, large tonnage uh, bulk mining kind of underground, bulk underground mining techniques uh, to be able to become one of the lowest cost platinum producers in the world. So we've got a link forever. And this is a project that today, even with a lack of drilling, even at a 12 million tons per annum, could have decades and decades of production. So it really could be producing for really, you know, potentially a century on this asset, which is the type of project that we really want to get associated with. It's a project that sees really kind of gradual step ups. And before you know it, they're looking at that, um, they're looking at that 12 million tons per year production, which uh, would see uh, our, you know, at that point, it becomes the largest single contributor of gold ounces to to sandstorms. So we're really pleased to be involved in that. And we can't wait to see that project. And of course, Ivanhoe, a well-known company, a company run by, uh, the bulk of it is owned by Robert Friedland. They've been one of the most effective implementers and builders of mines in the world uh, in the last decade with the success that they've had in the DRC and the success now that they're having a plant reef in South Africa. Can you tell us more about the uh, Hod Madam project uh, recently acquired by SSR Mining? <clears throat> yeah. You know, Hot Mountain was one of the projects that uh, we recognized very, very early on, just within the first successful drill holes uh, that they had in it. We liked this project so much uh, that we ended up, instead of buying a royalty in Streamano, we ended up buying a company that owned a 30% interest in it. And um, that was really kind of more out-of-the-box type of acquisition that we made. Uh, but it was... It, it, we think it was certainly justified because this is a project that even in, the, in really kind of the discovery hole on hole five and six, it had intercepts of effectively seven uh, or eight percent copper and close to uh, uh, close to in some places if you can believe it, eighty grams of gold per ton over hundred meters or more of intercepts. So uh, 
It is a very interesting ore body in Turkey, uh, kind of in the northeast side of Turkey, very close to the Georgia border, uh, that the operator prior to SSR, which is a Turkish company, did a really successful job of defining really um, uh, three million, uh, over three million ounces uh, in an ore body that's really effectively really just two and a half million tons. So extraordinarily high grade, consistent mineralization. Uh, it's now entering the construction phase now that SSR has really, who has been historically uh, the partner of this Turkish company for, for the better part of the last 15 years. Um, the three of us as a group are looking to really kind of construct this project um, and it will be, in my prediction, one of the most uh, profitable copper gold mines that's going to exist in the world uh, once it gets up and operating uh, by kind of 2027, 2028 period. Um, and we were speaking off air saying how challenging the mining industry is, is at the moment. How do you see the industry sort of playing out over the next few years? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to say. I, I would have been, you know, I've been much more optimistic than I think uh, than than what's actually happened. Uh, we've been in a very, very long period now where there's been a real lack of capital coming into the space uh, and a lack of outside capital. You know, when you go to uh, some of these mining conferences, it feels like really you're just meeting with other mining companies in general. Uh, in the meantime, over that 10-year period, we've had pretty nice commodity prices in general. Certainly, we've had a great commodity price on the copper in general. We've also had a very nice commodity price in general on gold side. Um, and companies have performed relatively well. We as a company have performed very well in terms of having great margins, being able to really provide uh, increased cash flow year over year. And in, with the exception of just the COVID year, increased uh, increased production year over year. So, uh, but regardless, there's really been a lack of new capital coming into the space and a lack of really generalist type of investors. So I would expect that over the next couple of years, and this is to me, this is really the longest period that we've seen ever where that lack of capital has existed. I would expect that at some point that really has to turn and we, you know, the, the greater market has to take a look at us from both a fundamental and value perspective, but also on that perspective of really kind of where commodity prices is going to go. You know, how are they going to con contribute? You know, you take a look at things like gold. Um, I think as we see interest rates have risen, we see everybody really kind of starts getting a handle on how much central bank debt there is, how much consumer debt there is really in the world. Uh, gold presents itself as a wonderful uh, preserver of wealth. Uh, and uh, I think people will see that as we start seeing the devaluation of currencies worldwide, primarily. I mean, already we've seen gold. Um, it, almost every other commodity other than the US dollar, gold is effectively at all-time highs. Uh, the US dollar has been unusually strong, but we really do see things of value is going to come into it. When you switch over to the copper side, you know we were talking about this uh, offline before. It's uh, it's extraordinary how the market really kind of looks at copper. You know they worry about really that short terms oversupply 
with the risk of really uh, kind of growth in China and recessionary pressures. Well, I mean, those are things that are important to consider. But when I look at the industry, and I think a lot of insiders look at the industry, they take a look at the lack of capital being put into copper mines worldwide. Very, very few world-class discoveries on the copper space being made worldwide. And so as a result, you know, when you take a look at the long-term demand that's going to be for copper, if we actually are going through this energy transition, even if we weren't going through this energy transition, but when you look at power generation, when you look at um, the grid upgrades that are required, uh, when you really kind of look at the requirement of copper for a fleet, a world global fleet of electric vehicles, um, we really, as an industry, I think are, are scared to death about the prospect of trying to provide this copper because we have not found the project, found the projects to really backstop these assets. We need to effectively find if any one of these aspects really comes true, we have to effectively find equivalent of an Escondida, which is the largest copper producing mine in the world. We need to find one of those effectively every year to really start hitting its demand. So the fact that the market isn't, you know, it's no secret. Like this is no secret. We've been we've been talking about this as an industry for a long time. But the fact that nobody in the greater uh, investment world has really taken that seriously or looked at that is really uh, astounding. And uh, it, uh, so at some point, though, that really that problem has to come home to roost. And I think investors will see that and we'll see much more outside capital coming into our space. Uh, that being said, we still have a long process, <laughs> regardless of how much money you have. It's still a long process, discovering, developing, permitting, and constructing these mines. And that timeline, even with a lot of money thrown at it, it's not going to shorten up either. So uh, what's going to happen in the next several years? I don't know. It's really hard to predict. But at some point, each one of these realities is going to come and hit home uh, for the industry on it. And to me, um, we just need to make sure that our companies are well prepared to really kind of protect, make sure it works and, and have that portfolio as there. And that's one of the reasons why we have that huge portfolio of assets that over, you know, really since the beginning of the company, we've been accumulating this package because some periods, some periods of time, optionality has been extraordinarily cheap in this in this industry. So we've been accumulating bits and pieces of projects that we believe eventually are really going to get there. Now, of all 250 of our projects, or how many of them are going to be up and producing 10 years from now? Well, it's certainly not going to be all 250, but many of those assets in that portfolio are really going to push forward. You take a look at some of these other assets like Lobo Marte, like the Mara project that sits uh, in Glencore's hands. These projects are all going to be really kind of coming online and they'll fill in. You know, some of these projects will give us 10 to $20 million a year in additional cash flow, even at really, I think, modest commodity prices. So it's exciting to have that portfolio there because, you know, we have a long list of projects that can hit that development curve in a project, in, in a, an environment where capital is available. Uh, so uh, that's what gets us excited when that actually happens. Boy, 
It's hard to tell, but it's going to happen. And lastly, what's the uh, outlook, uh, I suppose short to medium term outlook for Sandstall uh, over the next sort of six to 12 months and maybe yeah. beyond? For us, our period of growth really happened uh, through last year. So right now, what we're focused on is we're focused on paying down our debts. Uh, we're focused on really kind of uh, looking to help some of those partners along uh, that are in the portfolio to make sure. But we're not looking at a lot of new uh, new growth and new acquisitions. We really want to address uh, and make sure that we're paying down as much debt as possible. Uh, and we want to make sure that we're positioned to really help copper companies grow in the future. Uh, and when you look a little bit further down the road, uh, we are really trying to think about what those next streams do look like, those precious metal streams that we're focused on. And a big part of that is Horizon Copper, which is a company that we really took some of our assets that were really non-stream, non-royalty assets, uh, and put them into a company called Horizon Copper, which is now a trading public company, which has links to that Hotmaden and Tamina. Uh, and Oyutolgoy, three really amazing copper assets that exist in the world today. Um, and as we pay down that debt, and after we've done that debt paying down, we really want to help Horizon Copper grow by providing them precious metal streams that we have the exclusive ability to apply uh, on a large copper, uh, polymetallic copper projects that uh, Horizon is looking to expand in in the future. David, really appreciate your time. Thank you for, for joining us and uh, give us an overview of Sandstorm and, and what you do as a company and the projects that you're involved in. Um, and obviously wish you well for the remainder of the year going into next year. Um, if our audience wants to reach out to you, if they want to follow your story, um, how can they go about doing that? What sort of social media platforms uh, are you on? Yeah, listen, we have a good active page mm -hmm. on on. Uh... On LinkedIn, I think that's a great way to really kind of get up to up up to date uh, information. Um, the website is great. Uh, we've got a great YouTube channel uh, that has a lot of videos where we go into in depth projects. We talk pro about our process of really kind of how we uh, we go about uh, selecting a project, uh, and we talk really kind of about the day to day philosophy of really what we're trying to do at Sandstorm. Uh, so that's a great platform to look at as well, too, to be able to uh, to find that. And we do update those uh, videos and the content on there very, uh, very commonly. Our website is a great resource to be able to understand what streams and royalties really are and how they function. Um, and so there's uh, there's a whole plethora of information if you want more to really kind of do it. And, of course, you can always reach out to the company itself and to Investor Relations. More than happy to talk one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, over the phone uh, with uh, with people who want to know more about Sandstorm. Yeah, that's great. And we include those in the show notes accompanying this uh, episode uh, for easy access. So uh, wish you all well for the rest of the year. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, you're going to be uh, speaking at the Resourcing Tomorrow event, uh, which is at, on the 28th to the 30th of November. Um, so in, in about six or seven weeks time. So um encourage you to uh, get your tickets and as mentioned there is a um uh, a, a discount code uh, off the purchase of a ticket and obviously if you do attend um david will be speaking 
and I'm sure he'll be happy to answer any questions that you may have. So thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, appreciate your continued support. Please share this episode with not just people within our mining industry, but people outside of our uh, industry. Um, as David alluded to about obviously gold and building wealth, um, this this episode can apply to anyone, uh, anyone that you know that is looking at investing and also understanding what what the gold market is and, and what gold represents. So appreciate your continued support. Keep sharing these episodes. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.